Hey there, welcome to the Next Level Nutrition Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Long, business coach for nutritionists. I help nutritionists just like you create and launch their business and sign their first high-paying client. In this podcast, you'll learn practical strategies to start and grow your nutrition business that you can implement right away. You'll also hear from a ton of guests who have started their own thriving nutrition businesses and share what they've learned throughout their journey. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Next Level Nutrition Biz podcast. I'm excited to have my guest Cynthia here today to talk about how to make money through online cooking classes. So this is for you if maybe you're already teaching cooking or culinary skills um, in your business or you know you want to add this element in, uh, but you're not really sure where to get started. Or perhaps you've maybe been running some cooking classes, but they've been in person and you want to learn how to bring those online. So Cynthia is your girl today to talk about all things online cooking classes and really setting up your business for success to bring that to your audience. So let me tell you a little bit about Cynthia. Cynthia Simonian is the founder of Hidden Rhythm, a culinary marketing agency for food businesses of all sizes. Through her signature program, Cooking Class Business School, Cynthia helps culinary pros create and market online cooking classes and memberships so they can unlock more freedom, flexibility, and fulfillment in their lives. She also hosts the weekly podcast, The Experiential Table, that you're going to have to check out as well. Growing up as a first-generation American in a Persian family, Cynthia is no stranger to the power of food to unite people across cultures. Cynthia earned her MBA at Harvard Business School, but often thinks that culinary school might have been a better fit. Her career has been filled with twists and turns from working in finance at a large conglomerate to product management at a 25-person tech startup. She eventually left it all in 2015 to begin her entrepreneurial journey in food. Cynthia currently lives in sunny Oakland, California with her husband and baby daughter with another one on the way. Welcome to the podcast, Cynthia. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. Yeah, this is exciting. I know um, prior to hitting record, I had mentioned that I haven't had someone come on to talk, you know, about the food and the cooking workshop. So this is something that I'm really excited to bring to my audience. And you're definitely the right person to talk on this. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to share my experience with online cooking classes and helping just so many culinary pros across all disciplines get into it, especially in this last year, we've seen a rise in the space. So very excited to share more with your audience. Yeah, super relevant, definitely in in today's world. And, you know, moving forward, I think, you know, people, you know, for better or worse, kind of see like food workshops or culinary or cooking workshops as, you know, this in-person event like people need to be there they need to taste the food they need to experience it you know in person and I'm really excited for you to kind of um, stretch people's minds into how they can bring this online and not limit themselves to you know when the you know quote-unquote world opens up again (laughs) and you know start really getting at um, you know this now without having to wait you know for uh, a better time to do this in person you know there's no better time than now to bring everything online so um, I know this is going to be a great conversation and I would love for us to just get started with you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you even got into this work to begin with. Absolutely. And I'm guessing most of those 
you know, your listeners can relate to my story, which is a windy path indeed, and especially in the last year with COVID. Um, So I'll step back and talk about where my business was before March 2020, which is when I think a lot of things changed for us all. And I actually started uh, working in my own experiential marketing agency called Hidden Rhythm. So I started that agency in 2017. And just to kind of make it very clear what that is, most people don't know what experiential marketing is. I would work with brands like Bob's Red Mill and other brands you'd see on the shelves of Whole Foods and help them create these really interactive, immersive events. So for example, I worked with Bear Snacks. We did a we built an indoor apple orchard right off of Venice Beach, like just really crazy fun stuff, but it was all in person. And while I loved that business, it was exhausting. <laughs> the events space, it's just, it's grueling. And I remember being pregnant with my first daughter and flying to Washington, D.C. to set up this huge uh, festival setup. And it was snowing and it was windy. And I was thinking to myself, what is this business that I've built? Like, <laughs> I actually, I was scared of it growing because I realized from a lifestyle perspective, this wasn't necessarily going to work. And I could have grown the business by hiring more people, but that also didn't sit right with me because I like to be hands-on. I like to be in the creative process and honestly, like they're executing it. So It just, like my personality style and the work didn't quite mesh if I wanted the business to grow beyond me. Mm. And so I had invested a lot of time and a lot of money in the online course space. So I knew that I wanted to create an online course to help my own business scale. And, you know, I was throwing these culinary events, I was getting burned out, and I knew that I could grow my business through online programs. But of course, (laughs) when things are busy, when the money's coming in, you don't actually spend the time on the things that you know you should be doing for the future because you're just putting out the fires of today, right? Mm -hmm. So long story short, I just put off all of that online coursework that I knew I wanted to do until COVID hit. And March 2020 was a total slap in the face. I mean, my complete pipeline for 2020 vanished immediately. Um, So I had some huge projects lined up, once again, in the event space, working with food brands. And in these events, I would work also with uh, RDs and chefs, and they would be part of these events. So I was helping them craft workshops on behalf of brands. And I got to know that community really well, but like I said, my pipeline totally disappeared. And so while I was excited to to do these events, at the end of the day, they disappeared and brands called me asking for their deposit checks back, which I was counting on to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. At the time, I was six months pregnant. I mean, it was terrifying. (laughs) And I realized, like, now is the time. I have about four months before my baby is born, and I have no choice but to go online. And so I just put it out there, Stephanie. I said, okay, I'm going to take everything that I learned for the last two years of getting ready to create an online course, and I'm just going to do it. And I created my first program, and it is it was called Online Experiences for Food Brands. The concept was that I would help food brands that I had worked with in the past in my events. 
I would help them transition their marketing from offline to online. Put it out there with full confidence. I was like, okay, yes, I'm going to get all these brands to sign up. I've worked with them. They know me. I know them. I put it out there and none of them had signed up. (laughs) In fact, the people who did sign up were chefs, bakers, registered dietitians, health coaches, all of these individuals who had businesses that were really based in the offline world, and now they had a transition online. And they took my class title and the purpose and said, oh yeah, I want to create an online experience for my business. And that actually shaped the program. I, I taught it live for eight weeks, and it was a small group coaching program. We had about 15 students in that first cohort. And I have to say, like, I've never looked back. I I haven't called a food brand since then because I've had so much fulfillment and joy working with entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, most of whom are women. And I feel like I've found my calling in the last year. And since then, it's just completely snowballed and is now Cooking Class Business School, which I've been running month after month, like I said, since March 2020. So it's certainly evolved over time. That is awesome. I love that. And I just love how you kind of took the challenge of the last, you know, year and um, made it work for you. And even though it's maybe not what you set out for it to be, like you thought it was going to be working with the actual brand, um, now you get to help people go out and do that themselves, right? So you're kind of, in a sense, um, that middleman, that middle person, and I can totally relate to this, but I find that that can be so empowering because now you get to empower even more people and touch even more people because you're working with these Um, change makers. So it's so inspiring to hear that you've um, really just kind of like, uh, you know, put your two feet forward and really jumped into it. And it sounds like it's going really well. And I think it's so needed in this industry as well. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, I think it's just a classic case of, you know, taking the information you have and doing the best with it, right. And putting yourself out there and knowing that the market may respond differently and you can think that, you know, spending more time on it to make it perfect is going to change things. But at the end of the day, like, I mean, I, I am a perfectionist, a recovering perfectionist. I have learned that done is better than perfect. So like looking back at that time, if I didn't have this deadline of basically having a baby and not having any revenue for the year, I would have spent another two years making that course perfect and realizing no one wanted it. Mm -hmm. So I think there was something really nice about just being forced to put something out there to be scrappy and then learning from the response from the market. And I would have never sought out this audience that I now have had I not been kind of forced to just put it out there. And, And like I said, it's so much more fulfilling. And I feel like I, like you said, am helping change makers make a bigger impact. And that to me is just incredibly rewarding. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, I just think it uh, is just a great lesson in business, right? You know, even though this is kind of your life story, it's just a great reminder for business as well that, you know, we can sit behind the scenes so much um, and not actually put ourselves out there. And yet a lot of the time our business is going to succeed and grow the most when we do these things that, you know, aren't maybe this like 100% complete 
set in stone idea, just like you, you created the program, you ran it, thinking it was going to work for one, you know, demographic, and really it worked for another. And that's exactly for your business. Um, At least the way I love to work with my clients is, you know, we have to test things out. And it sounds like you are really good at doing that as well. So is that something, you know, even now, like, kind of moving into talking about how to start, you know, making money and and running your online cooking classes? Is that you know, kind of a foundation that you teach is like, you just have to get started and not try to make things perfect. Yes, a hundred percent. And a lot of my students fall into analysis paralysis, right? Where they overthink their niche and they overthink their offer or their price. That's a big one. And at some point I tell them, put it out there because what's the worst that happens? You learn from it, right? And I say that action leads to clarity, right? So sometimes when we're in our head and we think that if we just sleep on it another night, another night, another night, we'll get the right answer. When actually the right answer is never in your head. It's external. It's the market's response. And so that is a hundred percent my approach when coaching my students, especially around decisions where it's just not black and white. You just have to put it out there and collect data and then decide how to move forward based on that. Yes, that is great advice. And I wish everybody would take that. (laughs) Save ourselves some trouble, right? Of Like you said, getting in our own heads and our own way, where it's like we really just have to put ourselves out there, um, try it out. And I love how you said, get the data, get the information, um, because it's very hard to do that sitting behind the scenes. Um, So actually, speaking of that, you know, what are some of the common mistakes you see people making that are maybe holding them back from doing an online cooking class or workshop? You know, um, are there common things that you're seeing or things that maybe you can share with us so we can try to avoid that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll just kind of set the context and say, you know, right now, online cooking classes are so popular. I mean, mainly driven because of COVID, right? And the shift of everything coming online. And that's just important to know because, There have been online cooking classes pre-COVID, but the market wasn't ready, right? And as a market, we weren't uh, necessarily adopting online cooking classes because we had other options. We had other things going on. And frankly, we didn't know that we could actually enjoy an online cooking class as a consumer um, in our kitchen at home. But this last year has taught us that online cooking classes opens crazy opportunity, not only for the instructor building the business, but also the student. So with that in mind, I do see some mistakes because it's a very attractive market to get into. There's a lot of popularity, but with that, there are some common pitfalls that I see people make. And I I work with students on this in my program to help them avoid this. So The first mistake I see, and I think you could probably echo the importance of this, is uh, not focusing on a niche, right? Speaking to everyone and assuming that what you teach is for every single person out there, Mm -hmm. which is is just not true, right? And that's where I see the biggest challenge is for people to understand that they need to focus in on a niche. And it's more challenging for My students who have uh, more brick and mortar or local service businesses. So, for example, some of my students have cooking schools that they they actually own and run in their cities. 
And so for them, they never really had to think about a niche because their audience is limited to people who are within 20 or 30 miles of their cooking school, right? But when you go online, the world is your oyster, right? Anyone can be your student. And so you have to actually be very specific. Otherwise, like you won't rise above the competition. You won't stand out amongst the crowd. And that is the most challenging area for my students by far. Um, Sometimes they'll say, okay, like my niche is uh, gluten-free cooking. And I'll ask them, are you sure that's a niche? Like, let's talk about that a bit more because maybe 10 years ago that was a niche, but today that's still super popular. So we think a lot about niche, but not just focused on what you teach, but the type of person you want to teach. Um, thinking about like their psychographics, their attitudes, um, of course, demographic info, but there's so much that goes into determining your market. And that's a big piece of it. Because if, you, if you're speaking to everyone, you're speaking to no one. Like that's, that's kind of a famous marketing quote. And I think it's so true, especially in a crowded space like online cooking classes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I can see that happening where you're like, well, I'm going to create a topic that, you know, attracts everybody because everybody likes to cook this thing or everybody likes to do that. But then you're really competing with the noise of everyone else teaching these classes. And I think, you know, we're being a little bit more, um, you know, conscious of where we're spending our money, you know, especially in the times we're living in and in an online space, right? There's just so much noise. So to have, you know, something pop into, you know, maybe someone's inbox with an offering for like a very unique cooking class, I think that's going to stand out way more than something more generic that someone's like, "Mm, I could probably learn that later. Like we need to make it very compelling. And that's kind of what I hear you saying here. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, there's just this concept that bigger is better. And so a bigger market must be better for our business, but that's just not true. And it's especially important if you're new and if you don't have a large audience already, which you know most of my students don't. So they may look at a celebrity chef and say, well, they're teaching American cuisine, which is super generic and broad. And I'm like, yeah, but they have the audience like that, that can work for them. But if you're starting out, especially You've got to start with a niche and you can always expand to related niches later. It doesn't mean you're pigeonholing yourself, but at the end of the day, people want to know what to come to you for, right? Like we bucket people in our minds. Like that's just how we process information. So I know like even with my students that, you know, so-and-so is perfect for dumplings. And, you know, when a brand, when a, like a brand or a company reaches out to me and says, oh, who do you know that could do a mixology class? Like, I go straight to this, you know, student who comes to mind right off the bat. But, you know, it, it, when someone is too g- general and or too broad in what they teach, it makes it really hard for me to remember them because they just, you know, are, are they don't necessarily stand out. And if they don't stand out to me, just imagine, you know, what that's like for someone who is, you know, on Instagram and scrolling and seeing so many different people teaching different things. It's just it's really really hard. Yeah, you know, I teach something very, very similar. Again, I think we're very similar in our approach, which is awesome. I'm glad to have someone echoing and teaching the same things as me. um, Because, yeah, I I also agree that referrals, you know, um, and maybe this is more for like nutrition consultations, um, but I think it can work as well, like you're saying for cooking classes or working with brands, like 
referrals won't be as easy if you don't really know what that person does or they don't stand out, just like you said. Um, And that can be a huge piece of your business is having this amazing like referral or collaboration network. And, you know, if we're just staying too broad, like you said, we kind of cut that leg off of the business and that could really help to generate a lot of income. So I I totally agree with what you're saying um, when it comes to the niche. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have another question, and this might be a little bit more specific, again, for um, nutritionists that maybe aren't, you know, looking to just offer online cooking classes. Maybe that's like um, one part of their business, but not their full business. Do you actually recommend then that they're teaching cooking classes that would actually like relate to their bigger offering. So what I mean here is like, let's say they actually teach like a nutrition program, let's say for people um, to hormone, sorry, to balance their hormones, maybe for like a better period. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're not going to teach like a kombucha workshop that's like more for the gut health. Maybe they would teach like a, I don't know, like hormone balancing smoothie recipe uh, workshop that's going to lead people in their their funnel and bring them to that next offer. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because online cooking classes, there, there are people out there who are doing really, really well just by teaching online cooking classes. They've created memberships on top of that, et cetera. But This opportunity is perfect for, frankly, anyone who's building a business that wants to get out in front of their target audience in a way that's engaging and really drives connection. And like you said, like brings them into their funnel. So you're absolutely right. I mean, you don't have to build a business just teaching online cooking classes. You could consider your online classes and workshops as a way to um, get people into your funnel. And you can imagine that if they are willing to pay to attend your class and learn from you and they had a great experience, then they are ripe for that next step in your funnel, whether it's a paid program or a membership, whatever that may be. So I definitely think it's a it's a fantastic way to get your name out there and to attract people into your business. Okay, great. So that kind of brings up another question that I have. And and maybe this is even a mistake you see. I'm not sure kind of your approach to this. Uh, but would you recommend then if people um, are trying to kind of use a, a online cooking class or a workshop to bring people into their business to then, you know, sell them kind of on the next step that they offer these for free or should they be paid? You know, I'm thinking maybe people are like, I'll just do everything for free. But perhaps. Yeah. I'm not really sure what your what your thought is there. Yeah. I mean, it, it really depends on your goals. So for my students, I almost never recommend a free class just because I feel like you want to get your audience used to paying you for high quality content. And that's what your class is. So one of the things that sometimes my students will say is, well, Cynthia, they can just go on YouTube and look up the same recipe that I'm going to teach them. Like maybe I'll just charge $5. And I, I'm just like, no, no, no. What do we, we know? Like your class is not a commodity, right? And so often we, you know, my students will think of the classes as just the recipes or the techniques rather than the experience as a whole, right? And that includes their own experience and background, their personality, their ability to engage. I mean, it's part entertainment and part education, right? So mm-hmm. there's so much more to an online class than just here's the recipe, everyone. We are going to cook it step by step. And if that is your online class, then you're in trouble because that's not, that's not going to last long, right? So 
in terms of what you're talking about here, I mean, as a way to bring people into your funnel, I I would still recommend charging something, even if it's just $10, because you want to get people used to paying you for high quality content. And But once again, it really does depend on your financials. And if you, know, you do the math and you say like, okay, like I can teach this for free and I know that X percent are going to convert to my high paying membership or coaching program or whatever you have on the other end then that's the math that you need to do. But for my students, I almost never tell them to teach for free. I will tell them to be creative and do, you know, go on Instagram live and do partnerships or do donation-based classes, partnering with an organization. Like there are other ways that you can do classes that grow your audience. And, you know, that's kind of the trade-off there. You're not charging, but you're, you're growing your audience. But never am I like, you know, just launch your first set of classes for free just to see how it goes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you might, you know, I think what would be really frustrating there is that you might find that people don't actually end up showing up. And I can imagine that's frustrating, you know, being the one prepping everything, getting everything ready, you know, let alone just like if we're teaching, we have to buy the ingredients and all the groceries, but there's the tech setup that I'm sure is, you know, another step that online you have to take that you might not offline and to offer something for free and have no one show up. And I just can imagine the defeat you would feel at the end of the day, where even just like you said, that $10, um, even though it's not, you know, a huge amount coming out of people's pockets, it might give them that incentive to actually show up and do the thing um, so that they actually take the step and you don't just throw in the towel at the end of the day and say that this didn't work. Yes. Uh, And that actually, it's so funny because even though now I'm in the online space, so much of this ties back to my offline events experience. And it was it was very similar. You know, we would have free events and when things are free, people are more likely to flake. They don't have any skin in the game. So uh, a lot of the lessons that we learned in the offline experiential marketing world certainly have carried over into the online space. And I think you're absolutely right. Like attendance is usually tied to people having some sort of investment, even if it's $10. So yeah, that's that's definitely something that I encourage my students to think about when they are starting their classes because pricing is, is challenging and it, it can be really hard to put yourself out there. And sometimes they think, well, if I charge less, then I'll have more success. And that's not always the case. In fact, I always encourage them to to charge more than they originally tell me to. I always push them higher. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I, I definitely come across that. And I think, like you said, pricing is, oh, it's just such a big thing. People struggle so much with it. And um, I think especially as a new business owner, it's so hard to especially in this space, I need to put the context there, you know, being more in like, I guess, a helper profession, I think we already have trouble charging people. And then adding on top, not having a lot of experience, we just want to do everything for free. But then it's not helping us and it's not helping them. So I'm really glad you echoed that. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think the culinary world is very similar in that most of the people who I work with in this community, I, I love working with them, as I mentioned before. I mean, they, they stole my heart from the brands and it's because they love what they do, right? This is their passion. And sometimes we kind of let that get the best of us and we don't understand that our passion needs to be profitable or else we won't be able to do our passion in a sustainable way. So um, I think, you know, it comes from a good place, but 
fortunately, we, you know, you and I are telling them to raise their prices to charge more because that is so important in making sure that they continue to do the work that they love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. Hey there, I hope you're getting so much value from this episode. So I wanted to take a quick pause to tell you about the Next Level Nutrition Biz Collective and share a special offer just for podcast listeners like you. If you're trying to get momentum with your nutrition business or need some support figuring out your next steps or brainstorming ideas, this monthly membership is for you. Inside, you'll get monthly in-depth marketing, sales, and business trainings and Q&A sessions to help you grow your nutrition business as well as a supportive community where you can ask questions and exchange ideas. If you want to learn more or join us in the Next Level Nutrition Biz Collective, head on over to www.stephanielong.ca slash membership and be sure to use the code podcast in the checkout to get your first month for only $7. See you inside. So what would you suggest that people, you know, start focusing on um, to, you know, not only kind of launch those cooking classes, but to make them profitable? So are there any tips or tricks or tactics that you want to share with us to, you know, take that maybe idea that somebody has and help them put it into reality so that they can see that this really works as a business model and then keep doing it as a as a portion of their business? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you mentioned profitability because that is a key part of this. What I teach is not just how to teach an online cooking class. Um, Frankly, that is a very tiny part of what I teach in my program. In fact, it's one module of six. And the, the first five are all of the other foundational strategies you have to have in place um, because we want your classes to be profitable. We don't want you to go out and create you know, these classes and come back and realize you're still in the red in your bank account. Um, Cause that's just, that's very frustrating. And unlike the event space that I worked in for years, the online space allows you to scale and to be profitable. You don't have the overhead that you would if you were teaching in person. So it's easier to be profitable online, but you still need to have a strategy. Mm-hmm. So what I teach, um, I actually have a masterclass, which I can share more about later, but I do talk about a four-step framework. I like to break things down into steps. I think you're similar in that way, right? It's all about mm-hmm. kind of a step-by-step framework. And the acronym is ZEST, like lemon zest. And the first is Z, which is zero in, and then engage, sell, and teach. Now, those first three steps are really, like I said, where the meat of the work is done and where a lot of people just kind of skip through and go to teach, right? And so teach is like, okay, we're going to create a Zoom account. We are going to, you know, get our recipes ready and we're just going to share the link everywhere on social media. That's what we saw a lot of people doing last year, right? But you've got to do the first three steps to truly make it a profitable business. Now, zero in is zeroing, zeroing in on your niche and your offer. So really understanding who do you want to teach? What do you want to teach them? And how are you going to offer what it is that you teach? So an example could be doing a la carte one-off classes, or you could do a six-week series, or you could do a membership, right? And there's pros and cons to each of those, and it's really dependent on where you are in your business. Now, I think most of your listeners probably have a good idea of who their niche is because they're already working with that audience. So I think I think they can skip ahead to the next step, which is engage. And engage is building the relationship, 
before you move to the next step, which is sell. Now, this is one of the mistakes I see so many culinary pros make is that they just skip to selling, right? So they just put links everywhere on their Instagram, their Facebook, they email their friends and they're just like, here's a class I'm teaching. Bye, bye, bye. And then no one buys and they wonder why. Well, they've missed that very key step of engaging their audience and creating content to help them understand what they're all about and build that no like, and trust factor, which, you know, is pretty common in marketing. And that's something that I teach in my program as well. If people don't know who you are, if they don't like what you have to offer, then they're not really going to trust you with the sale quite yet. So you have to nurture them. And that really, it takes patience. It takes consistency. And there's many ways to do that. I'm a big believer in email marketing as well as social media. And that's a, that's a key part of it. So I would say once you know your niche, once you know your offer, start thinking about how you're going to talk about your classes in a way um, consistently before you just jump to creating that, you know, Eventbrite link or whatever it is you're using and, you know, blasting it everywhere, hoping that people are going to sign up. Yeah, I agree with that so much because you're right. I did see that a lot last year. And I think we were all like, you know, missing out on that social component. So we were like jumping on everything. I don't know if that was your situation as well, but I'm like, oh, another thing to join. And now I just think people are like really burnt out from that. So it needs to be something that is super engaging that we feel really drawn to. But like you said, if we don't, if we're only hearing like the details of something like, oh, the classes, you know, next Wednesday, this is how much it costs. This is the topic, but we're not really engaged on why should I do this? How is this going to improve my life? You know, what am I going to learn? Like why learn from you? You know, like that nurturing, just like you said, the no like trust. If I don't get that, I'm probably just going to say, you know what? It's okay. I'm not interested. So um, I love that you said this is like an essential step before you even get to teach because yeah, so often I just see people jumping to teaching because I think we get excited and we're like, that's, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the thing that you know, is the most important. But if we don't market it correctly, we're going to miss out on filling the seats. Absolutely. And and that's what I work on so closely with my students because they'll have a great offer, but I'll push back and say, okay, where's your student today? Your ideal student, what what are what's their mindset right now around what you want to teach? What are their objections? What are their fears? Why wouldn't they sign up for your class, right? And then how can you take them from where they are now to where they need to be to enroll in your class. And that gap, that bridge is done through your content, right? So it's not just, I teach gluten-free, dairy-free baking, sign up for my class, but think about your audience and what challenges and pain points they have and address those in your free content. And then you can get them to a place where they, like I said, know, like, and trust you. And when they're ready to learn more and to actually pay for classes, you're going to be the first person they think about. But like I said, so many people just skip to the the teaching versus the actual, um, you know, helping them understand why they should even be interested in your class in the first place. Even though that's what they want, they don't know that they want it. You have to help them understand that and really uncover it. Mm, that's a great point. Yes. I love that so much. Okay. So that was, so we zeroed in um, and then we went into the E was engage Engage. and then S is selling. So I'm assuming this is like the, the 
exchange of like, okay, this is when I am going to announce the price and the details and get people signed up. So is there anything that we need to really think about here um, in terms of logistics or uh, what happens at this point? Yeah. So at a baseline, you're absolutely right. It's here's the class. Here's how much, how much I'm charging. Here are the details. Uh, But what I go through even in more detail with my students is creative ways you can get your offer out there. So not just the actual act of like the transaction itself, but how do you promote your offer Mm. right now that you have it out there? How can you get it in front of more people? And so I am a huge believer in partnerships Mm -hmm. (laughs) and working with others who have similar values and have an audience that overlaps with your own. So that's a big part of the, the, you know, the step of selling is not just selling to your own audience, but getting in front of related audiences. And frankly, you're just piggybacking off of someone else's no like, and trust factor that they've built with their audience. So you really got to get scrappy here. And like I said, in the very beginning, most of my students don't have huge followings. So even if they can partner with someone who has, you know, 5,000 followers, that that could be game changing for them, especially if those followers are in the same niche or interested in the same types of content that my student is teaching. Hmm, that's a really good point. So would that be like um, collaborating with someone or partnering with someone to do like a free Instagram live, like to talk about the content or I guess like the concept of the workshop. So again, let's say we went with something about like hormone balancing smoothies. So maybe you were doing like a partnership live about hormone balancing and then you promote your workshop at the end. Or alternatively, would this be you doing like a mini free workshop for their audience? Like what would be like that? What would you be partnering on? Yeah. Yeah. Those, I mean, those are both great examples. So what you could do is what my students have done is they've gone on each other's Instagram lives and done a quick demo. So in your example, it could be maybe someone talking through like five ingredients you have in your pantry that can help with hormone balancing, right? So you're, you're giving them information. You're not giving everything away, right? You're not teaching the same content you would in your workshop, but the idea is, well, if someone watching is interested in what you're saying and, and they like how you teach that mini Instagram live, then they'll be more likely to sign up for your class. And so I do teach my students to have a lead magnet or a freebie that they talk about mm-hmm. so that they can get those people on their email list. I'm, like I said before, a very big believer in email marketing. So rather than just say, here, you know, here are five awesome ingredients to help with hormone balancing and sign up for my class. Instead, you're saying, and if you want to learn more, I have this free guide on XYZ. Go here to download it. And then at that point, they're on their email list and they can market their classes via email. That's just one example. Um, You could also do uh, kind of a joint cooking demo with someone else. I mean, there are so many different ways, but the, at the end of the day, the key is to get in front of someone else's audience, show how you can demonstrate value, how you can offer value to them, show a bit of your personality, right? Be relatable. Those are all things that will go a really long way in having someone be attracted to you and eventually your classes. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. And so my only thought, because I, I like to always kind of play devil's advocate of, you know, what my listener is probably thinking through right now and try yeah. to, you know, get that answer for them is, you know, they might be thinking, well, why would someone bring me to their audience? Like what benefit would they have to showcase me? So is there any kind of tips or anything that you would share with your students if they're also questioning, you know, okay, I want to reach out to this person, do a partnership, but you know, what can I offer to them of value? Yeah, I mean, for sure. And it's an exchange of value. So I do believe that you you have to think one step ahead and be able to answer that question. So, I mean, it really, it depends on kind of the, the position that you're in, right? So, for example, when I work with students who want to reach out to big brand partners, well, I tell them, okay, like, <laughs> let's think about how you can negotiate here. Like, what can you do for them that would be of value? So in the example that we're talking about, you know, you may not have the same exact offer as that person. So maybe they could come on your Instagram live, or maybe they could do a guest post on your blog, or they could do something for your audience that could then bring some of your audience to them as, you know, as long as you're not having directly competing offers. Mm -hmm. I do believe in this whole concept of collaboration over competition. I think there's enough for everyone. So you do need to know what it is that you want to get out of it, what you can offer them. And like I said, if you are partnering with someone who is, you know, relatively the same size as as you in terms of following, but they have an audience that you haven't tapped into, then you're kind of on a level playing field. But of course, like as you reach out to influencers who have larger followings, you do have to think about that exchange in value. And sometimes it just may not be there, but I think having that in your mind and understanding, okay, like these are the things that I could offer you, you never know, right? And you don't know unless you ask. So if you have a YouTube channel or if you have a podcast or if you have another outlet that you can bring them on to help them promote their programs, that may be enough for them. But um, And some people will just do it without kind of having that weird uh, you know, question around exchange of value. So yeah. it just, it really depends. Yeah. I think it's exactly like you said, one of those things where why not bother asking? I think we get nervous sometimes of like, oh, this person's going to say no. But a lot of the times in my experience with my own business or working with clients, people are very open to this. Um, and especially like you said, if you can share some type of step of where you might be able to um, give them something in return if like it's yeah using your platform to showcase them or coming up with a another idea of how to support them in their business. People are usually right. open and willing. So um, really great tips there. I will say one thing though, Stephanie, is that this is my biggest pet peeve. It's reaching out and then having the other person do the hard work, mm -hmm. right? So I, and this goes back to my days working with food brands. I was the underdog. I was the little guy. And when I would reach out to a big food brand or any food brand, frankly, I made it very easy for them to say yes, right? So I laid out everything. And I think one of the pitfalls I see a lot of people kind of go down, whether or not it's a brand or just another peer in the space or, you know, even like me reaching out to someone for, you know, a business opportunity, we, what we need to do is instead of just saying, Hey, do you want to partner on this? Like, that's my biggest pet peeve mm -hmm. or let's collaborate. Like, what does that actually mean? So I have seen the most success come from outbound, you know, outreach where you are making it very clear what 
you propose. And that doesn't mean, you know, you can't be flexible or they can't come back and, you know, suggest something else. But if you just leave it so open-ended that now you're giving them the hard work of deciding what this looks like, you are definitely making it challenging for them to say yes. And in fact, they'll probably just read your email and file it under, you know, get to it later. And later is basically never. So (laughs) make sure that when you reach out, you know exactly what you want and what you're asking them to do and just make it very easy for them to say yes. Oh, you're speaking my language here. I'm so happy that you said this. Um, It's something I'm definitely always teaching as well because it's so important. And I'm sure you can even um, maybe uh, relate to this as well. But, you know, I know for me, having my podcast and getting pitches for my podcast, um, the ones that make it a lot harder, they're like, hey, I'd like to come on, but they don't give me any information. Um, You know, that is a lot harder for me to say yes, where um, even someone like you who sent me an email, we weren't, we didn't know each other and yeah. you were so good at giving me the exact reasons why you'd be a great fit for my audience and it was an easy yes for me. So I think it's just always best practice to yeah do that work, that leg work so they don't have to do it. And um like exactly like you said, stay flexible um, and open to ideas if that person has another idea for how they could maybe work with you. But um giving them enough information and not too much information mm-hmm. is so important. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so that brings us to the last one, which is teaching. And um, I'm assuming that that's something you're probably going over in detail um, in your in your program, the Cooking Class Business School. Is there anything you want to share, just like a brief point on like what they can focus on when coming up with the teaching portion of the the Zest framework? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is it's interesting. So I survey my students when they enroll in the program, and I ask them how comfortable are they in each of these four steps based on when they enter. And it's funny, most of them feel good about the teaching piece uh, because they they've taught before, whether it's in-person workshops or, like I said, some of them have cooking schools. Most of them don't. But the teaching piece, it's interesting. Like that's that's where they come in and they say, oh, I got this. But what's really funny is that as they go through the program and they actually go through that module, they realize that there's more to teaching online than they had thought. So you know, teaching to a Zoom screen is a bit more challenging than teaching to a group of 10 people in person in your kitchen or somewhere else um, because you just don't get the same feedback. It's And I mean, there are many challenges. One is that, right? You don't get, you know, someone, uh, you know, as you're teaching, you have to look at each tile and, and kind of gauge where they're at. Um, you can't just go and show someone how something should feel. You have to just describe it and show it in your own video screen and hope that they get it. So, There are certain challenges that come with teaching online that, uh, you know, the best instructors in the culinary world have not had to face. And that's, that's what I love helping them with. I mean, that's where I get the most joy because, like I said, I mean, the online world opens up so much opportunity for them, but we've got to think about things differently. Um, and so with the online cooking classes, you have to think about the full experience, not just kind of running through the recipe and having people follow. So one of the big tips that I give my students that I think your listeners might find helpful is to build in your story, right? And mm-hmm. to not not skip that. 
part. So like I said, sometimes people just think that, oh, they're here to learn the recipe. They're not here for me. But you are part of that story. And so people want to know, like, who are you? Why did you start teaching this? Like, tell me more about this recipe than just, you know, what's in it and how it's made. If it feels very transactional, like I said, something that you could just learn by watching YouTube, then you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the funny thing is everyone has a story. Everyone has something interesting that they could share, but you have to take the time to uncover what that is. And you have to be comfortable repeating it with every class because <laughs> every time you're teaching a new group, you kind of have to have your spiel. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes it can feel like it's getting old for you, but for those people coming in, those are the things they're going to remember more than the recipe. You know, they can print out the recipe and refer to it later, but how you talk about that recipe and what it means to you, the origins of it, um, those are the things that really stick with the students and make it an experience versus just a cooking class. Mm-hmm. Yes, a hundred percent. And to add to that, you know, um, as nutritionists that have, you know, more food knowledge, we can add that in as well, I'm sure, right? That could be an extra layer. You add your story and maybe you add in facts about the food or like fun little anecdotes about the food or, you know, more teaching than just you know, here's the recipe. I'm sh- and again, I'm curious if you um, do highlight this to your students, but you know, adding that personal touch with like your knowledge to bring it kind of above and beyond, I think could be another win as well. Absolutely, and yeah, I mean, as nutritionists, like you, you have so much information. And maybe you forget that what you know, the average person doesn't know. So you could talk about an ingredient, you know, for for hours. And, you know, it, it's just to me, I, I think we forget. And it, this even happens with me with marketing. Like I just skim over some things because I hear myself talk about it all the time. But you have to realize your audience has never heard it before. And even if they have, they've got to hear something so many times for them actually to retain it. And the fact that as nutritionists, you have real like scientific information that can help people make better decisions in their lives. Like you can't, you can't hide that from them. You've got to share it. And online cooking classes are a great way to weave that in. And at the end of the class, they have something great that they can enjoy. And they also have that information that will help them beyond that 90-minute class. Mm, Yeah, very true. Well, I feel like you've made a really compelling case for, you know, why people should be adding (laughs) online cooking classes, you know, because I think it is... It helps people learn in a different way that, you know, I know a lot of nutritionists will do like one-on-one consulting or group programs, but they might not be able to like get hands-on with their clients or their potential students. And I think this is just such a nice way to bring that in and make that learning applicable to them in their everyday life. Uh, And it's fun. Yeah. (laughs) And it's fun. I mean, when you have people in their kitchens and their cameras are on and you're in your kitchen and your camera's on. There's something really personal about that. Even though you're on Zoom, I mean, people get really, uh, you know, protective about their kitchens. It's it's kind of strange, but it's an intimate experience to share your home with not only the instructor, but now, you know, six, seven, 10, 20 other people. So there is something really magical about that. And while, I mean, I will be the first to say that in-person cooking classes and in-person events and workshops have a place in the world and I cannot wait for those to come back. 
there are some benefits to doing it online. And like I said, you can teach anyone in the world, which is pretty amazing. And like, and, and it's fun. It's actually really fun that that's what I think most of my students are surprised by is that they put a class out there and they have someone joining from London, New Zealand, Louisiana, and California. And they're thinking to themselves, never in any other context would I be able to bring all these people into a cooking experience together. Mm, right. And true. Yeah. And and it's so fun because they all get to learn from each other. And you, you know, there's there's this magic that happens not only between instructor and student, but the students themselves yeah. start to engage and you just kind of sit back and watch it happen. And you realize like you've facilitated this experience. And once again, they will remember that so much more than the step-by-step recipe that you taught them, which they can print out and refer to later. Um, that's that's the magic of it, really. It's more than just teaching them how to make something. It's giving them a place to connect and not feel alone in whatever journey they're going through, especially in the health space and, you know, health and wellness. And, you know, depending on who you serve, they may feel very isolated. They may feel like they're the only ones with, you know, certain dietary needs. But if you can create a place where they feel like they aren't alone in that, that's really powerful. Yeah. Well, I'm excited now. I'm like, I want to join a cooking class. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) It does sound so nice, especially again with like the world right now, we need that connection so badly. Um, And I love all of your reasons for, you know, uh, you've kind of sold it on both ends why, you know, a practitioner or a coach could bring that into their business and, and why it's really good to even join as a student of one of these classes. I think you really get a lot of benefits on, on both sides. Definitely. And it's also really good for research. So if you want to learn more about your your audience, you can just, you have them in a space for 90 minutes. You can just ask them a bunch of questions. <laughs> that is super smart. I love that idea. <laughs> okay, Cynthia. Well, this has been amazing. I think you shared so much um, good information about, you know, where do they get started? How can they avoid some mistakes? You know, I loved your Zest framework. I think it's so easy to remember and understand. Um, so I think they have a really good starting point. But for those that want to learn more and want to dig into, you know, um, maybe either creating their business as a more of like a cooking or culinary focused business um, and would like your help, where could they get started? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say the best place to go is to my freebie. So it's called the Business Cookbook. And in it, I outline six essential steps to creating your online cooking class business. So it takes the Zest framework and breaks it down into more detail. And then I also share some of the biggest marketing misconceptions that I see so many culinary pros make. And then you'll also get invited to my free masterclass once you get the business cookbook. So you can go to hiddenrhythm.com slash cookbook. That sounds awesome. I'll make sure I have the link in the show notes for everyone to check out. And yeah, this was so fantastic. I've loved learning from you. And again, like I've mentioned a few times through this episode, I feel like we're on the same page. So it's so nice to, you know, hear you echoing these same things that I also like to teach. Um, I definitely think it's it's a really nice approach to do more um like authentic marketing, right? You know, at the end of the day, people are people and we really want to hit them, you know, with that, you know, emotional center and really get to know them and create that relationship versus, you know, marketing for marketing's sake. So I'm so glad that you also teach your students, you know, so many kind of feel good marketing techniques and, and tips as well. 
Absolutely. There's so much more to it. And I, similarly, as a podcaster myself, whenever guests come on the show and they basically say the same thing that I've been telling my audience for, for months or years, it does make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. So I'm glad I could do that for you. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I'm so, I'm so happy to hear that you're helping so many people do this, um, you know, and, and make a living, you know, just again, bringing it back to, you know, it's not just about creating a class and putting it out there and, you know, not really moving forward with it. Like you're teaching people how to do this in a profitable way that, you know, serves them, serves their family. And I think that's um, absolutely incredible work that, that you're doing as well. So thank you again for coming on. This was great. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I'm excited for everybody to check out your freebie and then watch your masterclass. Thanks so much, Stephanie. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening in. If you like this episode, feel free to leave us a review, share the episode with a friend or take us on social media. Catch you next time.